Welcome back, everyone, to the Clearly Aligned podcast. I'm Kelly Tyrrell, and I'm here with founder Dr. Stephen Schultz. And today we're going to be talking about our Clearly digital plan review process and why it's important. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Kelly? Good, good. The, the year's rolling by already, almost through uh, <laughs> January into February. I don't even know where the time is going. I know, I know. Baby coming in uh, a month here, trying to get all our recordings in, so... You got to get everything as much. Well, you already you have a two-year-old as well, so I'm gonna can't. It's not like you can go out and just go to movies and use those last thirty days. You still got stuff on the stuff yeah, on the go. But the challenge, the challenge. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. So excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> One day we're gonna have to have Claire on our podcast to show off some of her little uh, skills oh, yeah. that she's, she's a, got. She's a chatter. She'll uh, she'll keep people entertained. That's for sure. I'll bet you we could train her to know our, you know, whatever it is, our 10 digital uh, setup skills. I bet you she could list those off. That's going to be when I come down in the summer to visit. <laughs> that's going to be my goal. Well, you know, I always say that one day Claire is going to be doing my digital treatment plan setups. So I tell Amy eight and she says 12. But I'm like, I think I could get her trained at eight how to do like a very basic, basic setup. And I mean, maybe that's a good topic for today's discussion about how we're going to be talking about setting up plans and the efficiencies and um, making sure that we're kind of consistent every single time we do a plan. That's what I'll just teach Claire. I'll be like, okay, Claire, here's your 20 points. Make sure all these are all in order because all you're doing exactly. is playing a video game anyways, right? Yeah. there's, there's, It's a waste of time for our kids to be working at Tim Hortons or McDonald's. We've got big tasks for Clin them. Clincheck planning, clincheck planning. <laughs> we can totally, we can totally train anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, So I think it's important for people um, to know that uh, their digital plan, so what you're basically getting back from whichever provider you're using, we use the word clincheck a lot because uh, um, it's really been around the longest and um, I would say the majority of the market is using Invisalign, at least the last time I heard still. Um, so I think we use inter uh, ClinCheck interchangeably with just like your digital plan that's coming back. So keep that in mind. Um, and there's a reason that we have a specific process that we um, that we all use across the board. Um, and the reason is um, we like to be, um, we like to have confidence that it's a great plan. And we like to give that confidence to our members and our followers um, to teach them like, hey, you can be confident that when you press approve, this is a good plan and you don't need to watch the grass grow or be nervous. You can sleep at night. Um, and also that um, you have consistency. So every plan that you approve, you've been very consistent and methodical um, with your process. And then also um, it's super efficient. So anything that has a system becomes more efficient. And, um, you know, you can also train other people to do it. So it's not just the doctor's job and, you know, you're bogging your whole life down with uh, all these plans, plan after plan after plan. So we're going to kind of try to address all of those um, main whys and then also um, kind of give you our secrets of how we go through our plans uh, every day. So this is what I do every day. This is what Stephen does every day when he gets his plans from the people he's delegated them to. And uh, and why our plans just execute really, really well. Let's talk on confidence first, actually. Okay. So, yeah, I think this is such a key point. And you've heard me say this before, but this analogy, I think, holds so well in that when I first, uh, well, it was actually right around the time that we had Claire, uh, I, I was flying and 
I was taking pilot's lessons because I wanted to get my private pilot's license. And I love this analogy of how when you're doing a clincheck, you want it to be the equivalent of like the airline industry. How there's no room to lack confidence when you're flying a plane. And if you have any issues or problems, the results are going to be catastrophic. And so I think that's how every doctor here should almost approach the clincheck, not from a perspective that you can't make mistakes, but that you want to make sure that you're you're setting things up as, as consistently as possible to have that confidence while we're using a lot of C's today. Um, but just to make sure that you have that plan in place where you know everything's going to be happening the exact same every single time. And so when I was doing my private pilot's license, every time that you went to the plane and I'd be getting in that pilot seat, you would do a checklist. You'd walk around the plane. And so the first thing that was on my checklist was to check and make sure there's a fire extinguisher on the plane and make sure that it has pressure to it. Because if you have a, a fire while you're in the air, you need to be able to put that out so you don't um, die. <laughs> the second thing that you would do is you would make sure to pull out the control lock from the, the actual control, from the yoke, in order to make sure that your plane, when you pull back, that it will the nose will lift up and you'll, you'll be able to um, go up and be able to go down. And what was so interesting is that, in tragic, is that there was a pilot right around the time that uh, I was starting my pilot's license lessons who was a commercial pilot that also flew privately, and he died. And when they investigated the crash, they found that he had not pulled out that control lock. And so he didn't do a walkthrough. He didn't go around his plane with his 20-point checklist, taking off everything. He'd flown over 10,000 times. It only took one error. And they always say that the aviation industry, the rules are written in blood. And that's why it's so important in that industry to have a checklist and go through the same consistent path every single time. And that's how I feel when we're doing our ClinCheck is you don't want to be getting a ClinCheck bath and then you're now clinically, the, the case has started, you're in the mouth. And then all of a sudden you realize that out of your 30 aligners, for some reason at appointment number or train number 27, now they've changed out an attachment from unoptimized extrusion attachment to an optimized rotation attachment. So a completely different attachment at train 27 of 30. For no reason. And now you get a call from your patient saying like, hey, doc, my, my tray's not fitting anymore. What am I doing? And then that allows, the, that causes a lot of uh, clinical problems for the patient. Yeah. Yeah. We're all spinning around thinking why and that shouldn't be. And we don't want to bring you in and waste our valuable chair time. And then we figure it out. And it, it's, it's our mistake. We missed it before approving. And then we missed it at visit one because you're not usually looking that far ahead in your plan. Um when you've gone through your checklist. Well, well we, we don't. We, we expect it not to be there. Um, but once in a while, these things sneak up and it's, mm. it's not as catastrophic as crashing and dying. <laughs> but <laughs> in my world, <laughs> if I miss something, it, it almost has the same emotional effect yeah, on exactly. me. <laughs> but, you know, you could have like, cat, like catastrophic, like if there was um, a second molar that was erupting, let's just say 0 0.8 millimeters, doesn't look big, doesn't look like a big deal in your plan, you, you missed it. You didn't ask for it, but there it is. The AI put it in. Well, all of a sudden, halfway through your plan, you've got an anterior open bite because the the second molar is over erupted. And that is catastrophic to me because 
it, it's an unwanted mistake. It's preventable. And there's no reason it should have happened. And so it's not a wow experience for anyone, the team, the doctor, or the patient. And so, yeah, that's catastrophic. <laughs> I agree. Our version of catastrophic is different than than most people's, but it no, it, it 100%. It, 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 it kills you inside when you have something like that that doesn't work. And the patient, they lose their confidence in you if the plan isn't working properly. So I, th I think that you need to be able to, to have that plan. The other thing that I feel like makes such a big difference is the ClinCheck homework. Like we're fortunate in the fact that we have days planned when we aren't working on, uh, clinically. And so we can work on, on ClinCheck plans. But for the average doctor who might be reviewing ClinChecks between root canals and stainless steel crowns or wisdom teeth, implants, whatever it is, you need to be able to efficiently look at a plan and, and kind of go on autopilot. Like you just, in your mind, you don't need to be thinking about that specific plan because checking out very basic things and one step at a time is pretty easy. But when you try to digest that whole plan in front of you, in one go, it's hard to look at a plan and just say like, is this good or is this bad? And even us, we don't really do that. We have thousands of clin checks under our belt, but I guess question for you, Kelly, when you look at a clin check, I, I think this is probably more subconsciously, but I imagine you're going through it in steps. Like if I just showed you a clin check and I said, is this good or is this bad? You're not just gonna look at the whole clin check, click play through one time and then say it's good or bad you're going to go ahead and approach it by looking at specific things in different orders. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I do, uh, when we're mentoring and teaching our doctors who we're setting uh, ClinChecks up for, and I'm giving them videos, it's funny, I have to slow down a little bit because there's things that I'm looking at that we know are on our checklist. And, and now, you know, we've, we've absorbed them. They, it's who I am. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to see the list. Um, but when I'm teaching the doctor, there are all little things that in my head, I'm like, that's good. Check off the list. But I'm so I'm not speaking them. I, I really only tend to speak the mistakes like, OK, this is the first problem I see. This is the second problem because I've already kind of fast tracked. Be, be, is the bite set properly? You know, we have a whole bunch of let's say the first five are perfect. So I start speaking about number six, but it's internally I have this checklist. And like you said, we're on automatic pilot. I a lot of the time don't know which doctor I'm presenting this to because it's not live. Um, I don't remember the patient's name or their experience or that they're, you know, an eight-year-old child and XYZ who plays the flute. I am, I've just broken it down. This is just what I'm looking at. And I'm looking at all those little 12 steps to make sure I've covered each one. So that the first plan, it's not like, I'm not trying, I am trying to get a hole in one. I want the first set to be amazing and be as a predictable and, you know, efficient as possible and like deliver excellence. hundred percent, I am aiming for that. But I'm not aiming for not having additional aligners. Um, I, I know there's going to be additional aligners because we treat to excellence, not perfection, but to excellence. And so I'm fine with that. But I only want those additional aligners to be the movements that we know are very difficult, less predictable and whatever. So I already know what the refinement, what we're going to work on in the refinement on day one. I already know. And I usually will tell my doctors, hey, at the end of aligner 40, in the next set, we're going to continue to work on the deep bite intrusion, the torque, this premolar rotation, and I've already set up attachments for that. So, you know, I, I, I'm already letting them know this is not a mistake that is happening. This is not because we missed something on our checklist. This is part of the process. This is like playing golf and you're going to take a second swing for sure. Yeah, I agree 100%. <clears throat> so 
yeah, essentially the consistency of uh, of the plan really matters because the doctors need to have confidence that that it's going to work. You want to be able to set it up and, and efficiently work through it so that when you're between those procedures, you can you can look at it. You know there's more than one set coming, but that you are able to take a little bit at a time. So if if before you go into that root canal procedure, you're starting off with going through kind of maybe the uh, the basics of the clincheck. Did they give you enough aligners? Was the bite set properly? Those types of things. Then maybe you finish your root canal and you're looking at the staging of how the teeth were moving. Then you go into the next procedure. And when you finish that, now you're coming back and looking at the attachment designs and are there the right attachments in the right spot. And so you kind of break down this big problem to be like one step at a time. And you almost have these little algorithms and plans for how a specific segment is supposed to move. So if you're intruding teeth, you need to have attachments on the neighboring teeth. If you're extruding a tooth, you need to have an attachment on that tooth. So those types of things. So it's almost like when you're solving a Rubik's Cube. If you try to look at the Rubik's Cube and, and figure it all out at once, you're, you're in trouble. It's really hard. But if you know all the different little patterns and algorithms, then it becomes a lot more manageable. Exactly. And I will say like that confidence and consistency, when you do it, anything that you do over and over, you obviously um, become more confident. And I I find that's one of the biggest feedback. Well, probably my my biggest emails every day, every day emails come in and it's um, doctors who do not feel confident in their plans. And they're like, Kelly, could you just take one more look at this? Could you just take one more look? And so I'm trying to train them to be like, what would you like me to look at? Like, I'm trying to like get to tease out of them, like, what is concerning you? What do you see here that is concerning you? And I will be happy to look at that because I can't just work at, look at the whole world's plans um, all day long. Um, but they honestly don't know. Um, and it, I, and I will say that's not just beginners. Um, I have like amazing orthodontists who are fantastic, but, you know, maybe they're newer to aligners or they're doing more complex cases with aligners. It's the same thing. Your your eyes just glaze over and, and you're really not sure what to look at. You you have a hard time narrowing in to even ask the right questions. Um, but they know um, from seeing us work and seeing us live or or whatnot, um, or hearing these little videos when I do re review clinchecks, that we can just, it just, it's like, it's like that chest. It's like the queen's gambit where she's laying in bed and the, on the ceiling, all of those like algorithms and chest pieces are moving around. That's pretty much my life. I just, I see teeth moving in my sleep. And so you, we can see those problems. They jump out at us. Oh my God, there's a missing attachment there. Like that's just basic, but with this sequencing is off here, or that's definitely not enough, like enough aligners. Doctors don't know how many is enough aligners. What is the velocity there? But these things jump out to us and it's it's very teachable. And that's why the more times that you go through with someone or you go through this kind of digital plan setup, it starts to become really obvious to you. The, the big things will become the most obvious, like, you know, whatever. Do I have enough aligners or is the bite set properly or do I have the right attachments? Oh, I took that biomechanics and attachment course and I have you know, my little checklist here of what attachments are needed. So I could do that one myself. And then maybe for the bigger things, the sequencing, they reach out and say, hey, Kelly, yeah, could you look at this sequencing? Because this is only my third sequencing set. Absolutely. So that that's like, you know, we've taught them something. They have confidence. They can solve some things themselves. Um, and then we're here for the rest to teach up. So here's like, this just came to me and I'm like, this is, this is so true. So, um, when you look at like a chess master, you look at Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player in the world, he can look at a chess board and 
you could just give him a glimpse for three seconds and he will have almost two thirds. I think it's like 16 pieces or so. He can look at the chessboard for, for, for three seconds and then look away and he can put back in place those 16 pieces or so. Whereas if you ask somebody who's an intermediate player to look at a chessboard and put those pieces in their place, they may be able to get maybe like seven and eight in a random position, um, but is it still like a normal chess position? Then you could go ahead and take an absolute beginner, somebody who doesn't know anything about the pieces, and you would ask them to, to put the pieces back in the right spot again, and they will only get three pieces. Now, if you take those masters, so what the thought was is that these people are just, they're, they're savants. They're, they're amazing at what they do. Um, and so then what, what changed though, is the researchers then took these, these expert intermediate and beginner players. And what they did is instead of putting the pieces in a normal chess position, they took them completely randomly. So instead of having like first the row of pawns and then behind that, all the other pieces, they moved them around. So they were kind of in a, in positions they would never physically even be able to be in almost. And then they went ahead and asked them the exact same thing. Look at this chessboard and position them as many of those pieces in the right spot as possible after glimpsing for three seconds. And the expert, intermediate, and beginner players all got about three to four pieces in the right spot. And what they realized is, is that the chess masters have trained their muscles, their mental muscles, about understanding pattern recognition because that's what humans are really great at. The thing is that to go from a beginner to an intermediate to an expert takes kind of training and practice, but more than anything else, it takes pattern recognition and consistency. And so if you're not viewing every single clincheck in this scenario, the exact same way, every single time, you're not really like the, the chess player who's working just on their opening game or their middle game or their finishing game. Or as a hockey player, what do you do when you're learning? You practice skating and you practice skating and you practice skating and then you start, you learn how to shoot. So when I was playing minor hockey and growing up, what did I do? I actually took an old door Well, my dad did. He took an old door and put it in our backyard. And then I had a hundred pucks and a net. And I would just shoot the pucks at the net off this old door hundreds and hundreds of times. And you're just flexing that muscle of, okay, this is how I do a wrist shot. This is how I do a slap shot. This is how you keep practicing. And so it's the same exact thing, but you have to actually set up properly for practice. If you just... You, you go skating on the ice once in a blue moon, or you try flip, flipping the puck up once in a while, you're not going to be consistent in how, how you're practicing. And so that, 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 that's truly the way that as humans, we create those neural connections and, and we'd be able to look at things in complicated issues in a bigger way. Yeah. So in our doctors who are, you know, usually most doctors, um, uh, like GPs who are starting off like an orthopraxis, I mean, they're, they're choosing their, their games very well. It's like class one crowding, class one crowding, class one crowding. I got it. I got it. And eventually you're like, okay, maybe I'll do something different. Class one spacing, class one spacing. <laughs> and, and, and now, and then you come to clearly align where you're like, I think I can do more. But again, then the patterns get a little bit more complex because, you know, we, 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 we treat everything and, and we try to treat it to ideal as much as possible, unless the, the patient, the adult patient doesn't want ideal, but um, it's all these patterns. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, I don't think much spooks us. Like what we see plans and we've seen them, we've done so many cases in, in our lifetime so far um, that it's just, you know, we've seen that before and we know how to correct it even when it's set up crazy. It comes back whether the AI made it crazy or the prescription, um, the ask was crazy. 
but it's funny, a few of the times that I've reached out to you where I was like, my head is spinning, like exploding, and I, I, I'm confused. And I start to think, should I be setting up plans? Like, like sometimes my head just explodes because I've seen a pattern or something I've never seen before, and I think I've seen it all. Um, and so, you know, I had one case, it was like six months ago, and it was like, I mean, it was like mesializing an, like adult's teeth through through bone sequentially. Okay, fine. Mes going this way, and then the other arch was going the other way, and I'd just never seen teeth passing like two subway trains before. And I was just like, did I miss a, a lecture somewhere in the world? Like, a, a, is there some kind of innovation that has happened, and all of a sudden these things are possible? And so instead of trusting my own judgment and just resetting that case or talking to the doctor and asking them to rethink their process, um, I reached out to you, like asking, like, am I like, yeah, am I crazy? Am I going crazy? Or like, should I still be doing this? And you were like, no, that's crazy. That's a crazy setup. <laughs> Let's not do that. So anyways, but it's funny. You do just you get so used to seeing the same things over and over that as soon as one piece, one chess piece is out is missing or is out of alignment, you're like, there it is. Just so easy for us. And that's why we don't tend to miss little, even the smallest thing, like even residual spaces when you're finishing or little tweaks, little edges that are off, um, heights, whatever. It, it just catches our eye because we we have trained those muscles um, pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think you said that perfectly in the sense that we're kind of in a fortunate position that after doing this for a long time, like Magnus Carlsen with chess, he can just look at the board and be like, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Because your brain is subconsciously placing it in order of like, it's evaluating, yes, that's good, this is good, that's good, that's bad, this is good, this is good. This one that's bad, you come back to that and you're like, oh, okay, hey, doctor we're working with, check this out. And, and doctors will be like, how did you get that so quickly? How did you know that? And it's like, well, no, we started with checklist. That's where we began as newer providers. And then with this checklist, eventually you can, you can just look at it and you know that 40 of those 44 points are good. So let's take this into kind of the next segment then. Let's talk about what we actually look for. So we've talked about how important it is. Hopefully everybody's on board with that now. The way that I break things down um, is, is I really just want to kind of create those bigger categories first. So I'm going to go through and kind of give the, the different categories that I would look at. And so I break things down when viewing ClenChecks into the basics that I kind of need to evaluate. And we'll go through these kind of like one category at a time, but just main topics first. So... The basics, make sure those are all good. To me, I'm always looking next at the bite position. So I want to make sure that the final spot is actually where you want it to be. I think it's more important to look at the bite position first. Like, and this is the exact order I'd review it in. Because, and I know you're the same, right? There's no point in looking at like, oh, let's change out this attachment for that attachment. When you're like, well, wait a minute. Why are we intruding this central incisor? five millimeters into an open bite and then you look at it and you're like well that makes no sense like for some reason the clincheck went real haywire so you want to make sure that the teeth are actually in the right spots in their final position before you start planning things like the attachments so number one aligner basics number two that's like baking the cake do not ice <laughs> the cake until it's baked <laughs> yeah exactly exactly number two okay. bite position right exactly and then number three that i would look at would then be starting to look at something, and this is actually kind of new. This is newer on the protocol. So those who are listening right now who've taken attachments to biomechanics or other courses where we go through this quite extensively, it's kind of an update. So number three would actually be evaluating things like the tooth size discrepancy, 
from the Bolton discrepancy and IPR requirements slash restorative requirements. What I was noticing, and, and hopefully everybody can kind of say this, like just because you have a certain way of doing it right now should not mean that's the way you're always going to do it. So from critically evaluating kind of the way that I've looked at ClinChecks, I realized, wait a minute, I was always going in at the very end and looking at the gingival margins or the IPR situation or the spacing. I was kind of looking at it at a different time. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, I should almost set this up first to make sure the gingival margins are ideally aligned if we're planning restorative on this case and make sure that my tooth widths are consistent if we're setting this up for restorative. Let's do that earlier in treatment rather than kind of doing it at the very end and then needing to modify the plan and then realize that my attachments are off and then it took a lot more work. So I've kind of moved that up on the list that after evaluating the final position, then it's about kind of the Bolton, the restorative, the IPR. Make sure that those teeth are in the right spot for what you're actually trying to accomplish. Category number four then would be the staging. So how are the teeth physically moving? from one location to the other to get to that final position. That's my number four. Number five is gonna be the pontix and eruption compensation. Right, and again, we'll, we'll go through these categories one at a time. But things like, are the pontix the right size? Like one of the craziest things is that we don't have control on the 3D modifications to change the pontix size and shape, but yet the technicians can make them almost anything. They can change them to make them look really beautiful or really, really terrible. <laughs> Lately, it's been kind of ugly, really long. Check the length of them for sure. Like they're way up in the gingiva or like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyways, when we get to that individual yeah. <laughs> subject, I have, <laughs> we have stories. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. So you get through the pontics, then into the attachments. Now we're starting to kind of get into the very meat and potatoes of, of all the attachments. And that's a, that's an entire course on its own right there. Yes. I mean, when you're really mm -hmm. breaking it down, there's so much to know. And then the last thing that I look at is essentially the elastics, how yeah. they're designed, how they're set up, and making sure that we're happy with that setup. So let's exactly. jump in here, Kelly, to number yeah. one, Yep. which yep. is aligner basics. So for me, the basics that I really have, there's only two things. The two things I'm looking at is, is the bite set properly? So comparing the actual photos you took, if you've taken photos, to look at what the scan, the actual ClinCheck initial position at number one looks like versus the final. And I actually had one last week where uh, I was evaluating this ClinCheck. They look perfect in their photos, like they're biting like class one on both sides. There's good buckle over jet. And then you look at their ClinCheck and the one side is almost in a scissor bite and the other side is in a cross bite. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So immediately it's like, well, if we set up this plan to where it's currently set to, we're going to be in trouble because yeah, you you're doing a whole bunch the... of heroic movements <laughs> yeah. for no reason. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're going to like move the one side buckly and the other side's constricting. Midline shift. Holy Midline shift, yeah. like crazy elastics being required. Really? Like we literally just looked at the photos. And so can I stop right there? Um, because whether you're treating yourself, which again, we're, we're, we're trying to educate everyone so that you can take control of your digital plans yourself and or even if you're delegating to someone um, like me, whether you're an expert, um, you know, you're an expert high level provider who just doesn't want to do setups anymore. 
if you are not, I, I'm, I'm sure anyone who's high level is definitely taking photos, but if you're not loading them up to your Invisalign doctor site, so whether for your own, for yourself to look at, for your team to look at, or for someone you're delegating to, we don't have a comparison. So I don't have any external photo, not even to check their midline, which is like not good. I'm talking about upper midline, the lower, I'll always aim for a lower midline, but um, the upper midline, if the upper midline is off, I mean, that person may not get married. Just saying. <laughs> if you don't show me their upper midline is off, I can't marry Bob, someone with I an upper hope midline. That your upper midline is on or uh, this, we're, we're through. We're done. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but you do need, um, you need really um, amazing records to go in. Just uh, for goodness sakes, they don't need to be amazing. Just give me a headshot for sure. Um, so that we have something to compare to. And I had the exact same thing last week. Um, uh, I, I usually trust that because I get think because I'm used to working in specialty. Um, so I do trust that my records techs and my orthodontists are submitting really good records. It would have been caught at the TC visit, to be honest, before it made the IDS. So that one tends to slip by my um, slip by me. I, I take it for granted that most things are set up now. Not so much anymore. Um, but how do you know which one's real? How do I know if the scan is real or or the photo is real? And if I don't have something to compare to, I just have to take it at face value. And last week I did have a plan. I had no photos. I just had the scan. And, but in my head, I just thought this cannot be the right bite. Like this, there's just, this just can't be. And I've, we've seen a lot of crazy circus mouths, um, but I was just like, I don't think so. So before I start setting this up, I think I'm just going to email the doctor and say, could you just check? I don't know what you're going to check against in your office, but I'm hoping you have something. And they did. They came back and were like, oh, yeah, no, the bite's not right. We'll call them back in for a new scan. And they did. And that's the one I set up. But, you know, how many of those would get away from me, even as a setup tech, if you don't give me a comparison? So good yeah. records. And maybe I'll just jump in on a, a few things that I would look for as the doctor when I'm chair side. Like, how do you make sure that those records are good to start with? So, like, things to look for, right? If you ever see a patient who's not going into treatment and they have a posterior open bite, that's not normal. Teeth do not normally just chill and hang out in a posterior open bite. It just, it doesn't really happen, especially if no treatment was previously done. Maybe if they're coming in and they're like, hey, I just got Smile Direct Club done. Like, okay, yeah, no, that's their bite. <laughs> but you're just evaluating someone and you're like, okay, they have crowding their interior teeth, right? And then you look at the posteriors and you're like, wait a minute, why are they open on both sides? Well, because they're doing the Sunday smile. They're posturing yeah. forward edge to edge. Yeah. Right? They're giving you a fake bite. Teeth normally exactly. super erupt until they hit something. We know that from <laughs> when you get a tooth extracted and then your the lower first molar gets extracted and the upper first molar extrudes in that space and now it ruins your implant site. You need to do ortho to intrude that back up and open your implant site again. So we know that teeth always have a tendency to super erupt until they have contact. So an open bite on the sides is either they're not giving a true bite, or let's say you have someone and they're biting and you're like, wow, no, this, like they legit, like Steven, I'm telling you, they have an open bite in their posterior. The only other cause could be that something is getting between those teeth and intruding them. So then you're looking at something like a tongue habit, or maybe like if it was a, someone who's younger, Maybe they they have a blanket habit and they're putting their blanket in their posterior and their back teeth and they're biting on it. But like those are all giveaways. Yeah, and thing, we and we do have like we there we do have posterior open bites. Um, but usually those are refinements that I'm seeing yes, for the first time. And from they literally treatment. are yeah they're only hitting because we can put the occlusal thing on and I double check just in case. 
But they're like, no, no, they do only have contact on that 3-3, the tip of the 3-3. So I'm like, okay, then good to go. Like, yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll fix it. Great yeah. clarification. This is only, we're only talking right now before initial. This is your initial. Yes. This is your initial. Um, that, that they should not have a poster open by. And then, like we said, if you see that they're kind of going scissor bite on one side, cross bite on the other side, then something's funky. So those are kind of the circumstances that I tell my my assistants. Check the bite after you finish the iTero and make sure they don't have a posterior open bite if you're doing uh, first round at least. And that number two, they're not like their bite is fully occluded and intercuspated if, if that's what it looks like when they actually are kind of biting and talking. Um, it's, it's more challenging when you're dealing with kids. But with adults, like usually they understand if you're like bite on your back teeth and you kind of show them. This is how we need you to bite. Bite with all your teeth biting together. You're usually going to get like a pretty normal and natural bite. And they need to seem, need to make sure they're not shifting when you're actually scanning for the bite portion. I think we confuse them because we have them do the pan and we have them bite forward on that little <laughs> yeah, bite, on the bite stick. stick. <laughs> and then yeah. we're like smile normal. Then we're yeah, confusing exactly. them with too much instructions. Um, <laughs> but it's good to know too. Like, so if you have good photos and the photos are real and you know the scan is off, obviously you can ask the text to reset the bite to the to the photos we have amazing 3d tools like a helicopter tool and we can totally clamp that together and if you are doing like complex like a significant treatment we're about to like rearrange the whole house here so we're we're doing arch forms and whatever so you don't need to worry that are the occlusal contacts like perfect or whatever we don't care about that we it's it's the bigger things but you know if you're starting off with the bite not set bite not set properly um you're not you know it's like baking a cake without a pan. Yeah. <laughs> be a hot mess. <laughs> I don't so bake at all. Fun fact. I'm not sure why I'm doing so many baking references today. I don't really cook. <laughs> that makes two of them. <laughs> we just cook up some All I do checks. is clean checks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, 100%. And you made a really good point. I want to key in on that for those who missed it. What Kelly was just saying is that if you don't have the bite set properly, that's not a huge problem. Uh, on your ClinCheck, you look at it and you're like, well, this is off. What do you do? You just tell the technicians if the photos were with the bite in the proper position, you just say, please go ahead and set the bite to the photos. That's all you write in your box. Bite is set improperly, reset bite to photos. I wouldn't adjust or change anything else on my ClinCheck. I wouldn't look at the attachments. I wouldn't look at the staging. I'd look at nothing because everything is going to change once you tell them to reset the bite. So all I would do is uh, bites off. This is what I do on that one case. Please reset the bite. Uh, use the photos as your guide period submit click done come back later an hour two hours five hours whatever the next day and then i have a new clin check and then i evaluate starting at number one again was the bite so properly yes it is okay next point so then we're going into things like is there four passive aligners at the end of treatment so kelly why use four first of all can you tell our listeners right now uh, why use passive, well, well, first, what are passive aligners at the end of treatment and why would you use them? Um, so yeah, we, uh, we get this question a lot from, from new and experienced providers and um, even top orthodontists, like even like aligned faculty uh, doctors who haven't heard of it before. Like, what are these for? Like, what are the, what are these extra things you're adding onto my cases or whatever, Kelly, when you're setting them up? So the reason is you've trained your patient, in my opinion, you, we've trained our patients from day one to be very consistent, um, wearing them all the time. They're changing. Let's say it's every week. We'll just keep it standard across the board. For most of the world, we're on a seven-day cycle, seven-day cycle. So those are really good habits for developing. 
And so when we get to the end of that set, if you didn't have passive aligners, that patient would have to hold in that final aligner for four weeks. So the plastic gets gross, it gets softer, it's like jeans you've worn for like four months and haven't thrown back in the dryer, they haven't tightened up. And so you're just, it's just, it's not a good experience for sure. And what if they lose that last aligner? I personally am not in the habit of having my patients save aligners or keep them. I know lots of doctors do that, but I'm always like, nope, it's like gross and move on, move on, move on. But I have always had the comfort of having at least these final four passive aligners, which are no movement, but fresh plastic. So I have the patient come in four weeks prior to the end of their set. So right be their last active aligner before those four passives start. And that's when we scan them. So we're either scanning them to create more additional aligners because now, you know, we've um, we, we've done our first shot and now we're into that second shot. Let's call it finishing details. And so I'm scanning them and I'm giving them four weeks, which is a great turnaround time. I have time in my appointment schedule and I have time to work up the plan and get it approved and get it back in the office. So where everyone's got, that's like a very comfortable turnaround time, four weeks. And the patient They've been scanned and I just say, okay, just keep going. And I don't have to explain to them passive aligners, none of their business. I try to talk these days as little as possible chair side because chair side is dollars to me. Um, but I just say, okay, keep going. You're doing great. And, um, you know, they have four fresh weeks of plastic, but the teeth are not moving. So everything is passive, but it keeping good habits, um, you know, and, you know, so that's basically what it is. And it used to be very, very obvious. Um, you're always allowed to have four passive aligners. Um, they've changed the rules a little bit. Um, you can still get them, but sometimes they won't show up as four dark gray aligners at the end. So visually, you might not always see that your four passives are there if you've asked for them. But if you just run your staging bar really quickly over those last four to six aligners, you'll see there's negligible, if any, movements. Um, so they're passive and you can use them. Yeah, so that's what I do it for. Sure. And, and just to clarify for those listening that are kind of confused right now, because I got this question when we ran our last webinar, those four passive aligners that you're getting at the end of, of active treatment. So active, right? You've got all the trays that are moving. Then these four, they don't move anything. They're almost exactly the same tray. The attachments are still on those four aligners. It's not like there's no attachment. So the, it's still the exact same. So let's say you had 40 aligners in your first patch. And then you've got these extra four, 41 through 44, 41 through 44 are just the exact same aligner. So the last movement happened at 40, the attachments stay on the teeth. They stay exactly the same. So, because that's a problem, right? If they all of a sudden took off all the attachments at aligner number 40, then if you wanted to keep those attachments in place for your next batch, which we often, often do, because we don't want to have to take off every single attachment and then put every single one back on. Instead, our goals... I know Kelly, myself, would be that we want to try and keep as many attachments as we can and only change what's actually needing to be changed. So you don't want them to take off all your attachments at stage 40. And then now from 41 through 44, you have no attachments because then if you don't take off the attachments, you're in trouble. Because the other ways you can use these passive aligners is that let's say you have a patient who's a very particular schedule. They can come in right at aligner 40. They can come in that exact week. They're on vacation or they're busy with work or something's going on, that's fine, no problem. So we just go ahead and we'll have them wear number 41 or number 42 or number 43. Like they still might end up that they're not coming in right at number 40. We do the same thing as what Kelly's saying here, that if everything's going smoothly, we don't necessarily even tell the patient that the last four trays are 
different in any way. We just tell them like, this is where we're going to go ahead and take a scan to get your new aligners. But if you have a patient who's saying, well, uh, you know, like my schedule's really tight and I can't come in that week. No problem. Okay. What we're going to have you do is these last four trays are pretty much identical to one another to hold things over till you get new aligners. That's going to give us time essentially. So if you're going to be a little bit later and you can't come in for the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we're going to go ahead and just have you start slowing down how frequently you wear them. What I normally just tell them is keep wearing them until they get really gross, then change them. But it's usually going to be, we'll kind of like try to always give ourselves that four weeks, but let's say that I have a patient who is on vacation and, and we know that they're going to be on tray 42 out of 44 by the time we actually see them. I'll speed up their, their refinement. Like I'll put them to the top of the queue try to get them trays quicker. So maybe I'll tell them like, it's going to be another two to three weeks till you get new aligners. But I don't want you stuck in that last tray for a really long time. So go ahead and slow down to maybe 10 days, maybe even like 14 days, just to make sure I don't want you stuck in your last aligner and it's really, really gross and disgusting. So it's just giving you time to get more aligners, keeping the patient for the most part, changing every single week still, so you don't break that habit and routine. I've had it before. I've, I've made every single one of those I don't want to call them mistakes, but I've done it before where I used to only have like no passive aligners. They've just got the one, they break it, they lose it. It gets too gross and they stop wearing it. Or so that was the original way of doing it. And then they came back and their teeth are crooked. And now that their teeth are crooked, you're getting them the new batch of aligners, but they don't fit. So now you're like, okay, here's tray number one. And they told you that for three weeks, they haven't been wearing anything. You put it in, it doesn't fit. So you go ahead and you order them a new batch of trays takes two weeks to come in. It's busy. The patient doesn't come in for a week or two because they're busy. Now you go to put the new batch that you just ordered again in. That doesn't fit. And you're constantly playing catch up until you either make them an Essex to hold their position or, I mean, you get it really, really, really quickly. So I made those errors. So then what I did is it was like, okay, we'll only wear them at nighttime. Just wear, wear the trays at nighttime just to hold the position. But then same thing, something started to slip or move or they did, but then when they get into their new batch of trays, they're so used to not wearing aligners all the time anymore that now you're trying to like get them back on track. And they say at the end of uh, another 10 trays and they've gone off track, they're like, Hey doc. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've been really bad this last batch. You know, the first batch I was great on, I wore it all the time. I was so consistent. But then when I went into that, like nighttime, like I got a taste of freedom again and I, couldn't get back in the routine. And so I, I, I've only been wearing them at nighttime. And you're like, well, I can't make these movements happen. So all of these mistakes, like that pilot situation for, for our checklist, yeah. we made it's them It's human blood. nature. We made, yeah, we it's made human nature mistakes. too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. If totally. we, so, if you give them a, if you give them a break, um, th you get used to it, you get to, well, it's still fit. And I wore it a lot less hours or I only wore it at night. And you enjoyed the time without the aligners or without the attachments or whatever. So it's like giving yourself like a month off of the gym. It's hard to go back because you fill that time with something else. Um, and I was the same. I mean, we're kind of taught the same, you know, to use the optimized attachments and and great. I mean, they do work um, for a lot of the reasons or whatever. But, you know, at the end of that set, we would take all the attachments off. That's a nice thing to do to give the patient a break. And we would only have them wear their aligners at night. And you could whiten and enjoy your freedom, enjoy your aligner holiday. And, I, I you know, and it was a great experience. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was excited about my patients were excited. It was a great experience. And you, they Until, do lose the habit. Da, da, so that was da. part of it. Yeah, they they lose the, 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 the 
habits and and the the yeah the drive and the consistency, but then also, as you get more and more patience, your chair time is diminishing, and you're realizing yeah it's really well for them that I'm taking off all these attachments and giving them this holiday etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Now it's not wow for me and <laughs> the practice because I don't have time to do this. I'm doing it through my lunch. I'm doing it after hours, and so then you start to realize they don't know what they don't know. Why am I taking all these attachments off and on, off and on? Is there a better way? And we know that there is. And so, again, like to your point, we're helping you plan your treatment so that the attachments you put on at the beginning are the attachments you will need in your additional aligners or refinement. We're already pre-thinking. And so you really don't have to switch. So you've changed, like you've saved yourself a whole bonding um, experience and you've kept the patient's motivation And, and they don't know any difference. So it's not, they haven't lost the wow experience. (laughs) <laughs> they're having wow well, in other ways yeah. deliver the wow in other ways I, I would, I would, yeah exactly I, I wouldn't say that it's not the wow it's more like what do patients want they want efficiency in treatment to be done as quickly efficiently yes. as possible exactly and what's so and uncomfortably right what's more yeah. uncomfortable than having yes. every single attachment drilled off your tooth and 100%. then three weeks later four weeks later you put every single attachment back on again and you do this multiple times like that's it, yeah. it's, and like, if it's me, the AI, like if you're doing optimize, which I get a lot of people do who also don't know how to plan their attachments, you're just trusting the AI. Sometimes it's the exact same attachments because you can see your other plan and your previous plan. And you're like, shoot, I just took off 12 half moons and now I'm putting them all back on. Like that's, that's just insanity. It's insanity. Yeah. yeah don't do I, that. Well, and clarification though, I, I do want to make this distinction because this is really important. Like the the, the artificial intelligence behind the attachment decisions for optimized attachments is excellent. Like it, it, it works and it works really well. But the, the thing with the optimized attachments from Invisalign is that they're active, meaning that there's a certain area of the, the attachment that has additional force put on it that moves and pushes more than just a standard conventional attachment that you can change out and position yourself. So it is actually more uh, efficient in its tooth movement about how the plastic engages with the attachment, but it is only active for that one round of aligners. I feel like the holy grail would be as if a line could create an attachment that is active every single time. You place it on once at the very beginning and then at refinement, it still uses that same surface to keep pushing. That would replace the need in my mind for needing to change out nearly as many attachments for efficiency and chair time considerations. Because exactly like Kelly said, the, the challenge is, is that you're wasting an extra, every time you take off all the attachments, it probably takes you a half an hour. And then you put all the attachments back on, you're probably talking 45 minutes. So at every single refinement, they take everything off and put it all back on. You're talking probably an hour and 15 minutes of chair time. My goal is to finish the entire case in three and a half to four hours of chair time. Well, if you're doing this twice, you've just doubled your chair time almost from three and a half hours, if that's where we were, but now you changed out the attachments twice. Now the the amount of time is 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 twice as much. So your efficiency and profitability is just halved. But the thing is, is that if you don't understand how to actually take control and change out attachments to make those decisions, for example, like let's say a lower canine tooth is very very rotated, and you want to go ahead and and change out that attachment. If you don't go ahead and you've got the little like um, optimized rotation attachment, so like a very dinky little attachment, 
if, if you leave that attachment on at refinement, so you go ahead and you, you scan them originally, no attachments, right? You scan them up, you get your clean check, you get it back, it has this small, teeny little optimized rotation attachment. Let's say that you use that, you finish your first round of trades and it made it 50% of the way there. You realize you need to keep going. This is an acceptable result. So your choice is, okay, you can take it off and put a new attachment back on. If you are, you're probably taking that one off and putting on another optimized rotation attachment. If you don't take it off, but you scan it and you leave it on, it's so small and so worn down that it's not active. It won't rotate the tooth. And at the end of that round, it's still not going to be straight. So that's problematic. Then uh, you're just going to keep in the same cycle of leaving the wrong optimize, like you're leaving an optimized attachment on. If you're using the optimize, the recommendation, and I'd strongly stick with this for the most part, is you have to remove them, especially if they're small, and put on the new optimized. But instead, if you take control earlier and you say, well, you know what? If that tooth doesn't fully rotate, I want to make sure I have the right attachment in place that I can just leave in and not need a change. So you do like a four millimeter vertical attachment, something that's bigger and thicker and chunkier that has good surface area to grab on the sides to help that rotational movement. So if you place that on, let's say it doesn't move all the way. It only moved 50% of the way there. Okay, no problem. When you scan them up, you leave that attachment on. Maybe you crisp up the surfaces with the, with the flame burr or like a two or four round burr on slow speed. You just crisp up the surfaces. And now you've still got the exact right attachment on that helps that rotational movement. So you just get another round. Maybe you make it 100% way of the way there, or maybe you only make it 95% of the way there. But either way, you're leaving that attachment on until you're done with all of the treatment because it's the right attachment. But what you can't do, I'm saying, is you can just go in and change out all the attachments for something that doesn't make sense. If instead of using the vertical attachment for the rotational movement, you placed on a horizontal attachment, that won't work. So you need to understand how the attachments function in order to make the decision if you're going to make that change and what's going to happen if, if the movement doesn't still occur, are you happy with that attachment or are you going to have to still make changes or different decisions? So you cannot just jump in and change all the attachments for like anything that you want and say like, oh, well, Shulk and Stephen and Kelly said, hey, change out your attachments and make these decisions. Like, no, no, no. Only when you understand. And that's really what we're here for is we're, we're here to teach you to understand how all the different attachments work and why you would change them, where you would change them and how you manage that refinement then. Yeah. And that's like a recipe. Once you know it, you can't unknow it. It's one of the best skills to ever have and, and totally teach a team member. Like it's a very teachable skill. So totally. That's and one of my favorite courses. It unlocks, yeah, exactly. It unlocks the knowledge and understanding that then you can look at something and be like, okay, this optimized attachment is going to work and it's going to work for these reasons. Or this attachment, this optimized is not going to work. It's not going to work because there's a significant amount of root tip happening. And that root tip, well, they place an optimized rotation attachment. <laughs> this rotation attachment will not accomplish that goals. And so I should take control right now because I know that this plan is going to fall short. So... Even if you weren't changing out your attachments, understanding how they work is just so critical. Exactly. Okay, so exactly. That will okay, us so through. Let's, yeah, yeah through our first we're kind of bite there. position. We're, <laughs> yes. We so did like basics. Position. We're setting it up. Yeah. We've got our bite set properly. We're ready to go. Yeah. So here are the things that I look at with bite position, and then I'll get your thoughts if there's anything that, uh, they, that you'd add in. But so for me, looking at bite position, now that we're into that section, is, is looking at the final spots. So number one, are, are you looking at 
your molar and canine position. So were you setting this up in such a way that you were hoping or planning to achieve class one correction with your canines and molars? In some cases that might be yes, like your growing patient, it should always be yes. You always should be treating your class, uh, your, your, your growing patients to a class one occlusion. But let's say you've got a 65 year old male who obviously is not growing anymore and he's got a 10 millimeter overjet. And his chief concern is his two front gnarly teeth that are overlapped and he's getting married and he just wants to get those teeth derotated. And you look at him and you're like, man, this guy doesn't have a jaw. He has micronathia. <laughs> of course, you could talk to him about jaw surgery, but if you set up your ClinCheck to show class one correction in his situation, you're going to be retracting every single tooth on his upper 10 millimeters. Is that what you actually wanted? The technicians may have given that to you, but is that actually what you want? So first step, are you actually wanting them to finish in class one molar and canine? And is that what they gave you? And if it's not, then you need to tell them, okay, I didn't want class one correction. Leave the anterior posterior the same. That's all you'd write in there. You don't need to write anything crazy. Just do not correct the class one occlusion. Or maybe you do want to finish class one and they didn't do that for you. Then you'd say they please correct a class one occlusion with a bite jump or with sequential distalization. So that to and me so, is kind of the yeah. first aspect. So it, it like to that point, because I, I think a lot of doctors get and team members, let's say, but mostly it's doctors who are still looking at their plans. I think that's already where people get lost. So they're not looking at their plan. Just shift your model side to side to quick flip, 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 flip. And you're just looking do I want it? Did I get it? And at stage one, at stage at the end stage, what did I start with? What did I end with? If that's not right, look no further. Do not look at elastics. Do not look at any, like, do not pass go, go right back, <laughs> go, right <laughs> go to, to jail. Right to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, you are just wasting your time. But that's what happens. All of a sudden you're like, oh, fancy attachments and you get bedazzled by elastics and oh my God, I'm afraid of elastics. And you go off in this like spiral, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Class one canine. I wanted that. The molars are doing something funny. Uh, that's an implant. You, you know, you can very easily get off track. So just flip right side, left side, stage one, stage 40. Yes. I wanted that. Okay. Move on. Or no, move I on. didn't want that. Exactly. And, yes, if, and like exactly. I was saying, if you didn't, if you wanted to correct the class one or not, and they gave you the wrong thing, write in the instructions, please do not correct to class one, or please do correct to class one using a bite jump or Sequential distalization, if, if you don't know those terms, we teach them in our courses, so come check it out. <laughs> uh, or check us out on our YouTube channel. We're putting more and more content explaining these different co topics as well. But um, correct this, and then don't write anything else. Hit submit. Don't waste your time. This is right now you're looking at the two things. Was the bite set right? If no, fix this. Hit enter. Is the bite set to the right position? If no, this is what I want fixed. Hit enter, right? You're 10 seconds into this clin check right now, and you're either continuing down the yellow brick road or you're telling them like, nope, stop and put me back on the yellow brick road. And I would say that applies um, to adults who have molar class uh, crossbite, posterior molar crossbite that you do not plan to fix, but maybe you tick the little box at the prescription or your team members did saying, correct it. And everything looks so magical when it bounces back, but you realize whoa, I don't like, I don't want that, or I don't know how to do that, or I didn't, this patient did not sign up for two years of treatment, all these different reasons, um, or it's not possible because it's a skeletal correction. And, you know, we can't just do things just because it just because it's on the movie doesn't mean it's possible. <laughs> 
Okay, so yeah, so AP and big things like that, big yeah, crazy big things. things. Don't waste your time. Don't look at the attachment on the lateral incisor yet because it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but it's not. It's not time to look at it yet. It's not time. Okay, so you get through that. Now the next thing that I would look at. And we're not going to go into all of these super in-depth because I do want to give you guys the whole list of everything. But again, if you want to know all of the specifics here, then these are these are taught in the courses. But we'll so do a webinar thing, or something. Yeah, or of course. Yeah, you check us out get. on the webinars. Check us out on YouTube if you want the free stuff. If you're really interested in taking things to the next level, come check us out at Clearly Next Level. It's our educational group that goes into things in extreme detail. Um, and, and you get access to extensive resources and other benefits. So, um, lo lots of different places that you can kind of hear all of this in a more in-depth version. But number two for me, do you have any teeth that are moving that you don't want to move? So wisdom teeth or implants, potentially even the molars, if you, if you, they're in great position, then you want to make sure they're locked, right? Either that they're kind of grayed out or you right click on it and then you click make unmovable or uh, essentially do not allow those teeth to change their positions. Because if you show an implant moving through the mouth, it's obviously not going to happen. And that should be ankylosed teeth too. And, and, and bridges just, you can move bridges. I mean, not implant supported bridges, but you can, but you have to make sure they're moving as a unit. They cannot be jiggling in different directions. That's just not going to work out yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. So. They can only intrude together. They can extrude together. They can move buckly together, lingually together, or maybe like a teeny bit of measle or just a little bit, not a ton. So yeah, 100%. That's a block unit. Imagine it's one tooth. Okay. The next one would be, is the curve of speed adequately leveled? So you look from the side view, only on the lower arch, and you want to make sure that you are intruding those lower incisors and extruding your premolars. Right? You don't want to have a giant ski jump from that side lower view. You want it to be nice and flat at the end of the day. So that's number three. The next, and, and these are quick decisions, guys. Like all we're doing when you're looking at this is it's kind of like, was the bite set properly? Yes. Next. Uh, is the final bite position good? Click on number one. Click on number 40. Click on number one. Click on number 40. Yes. It's what I want it to be. Are there any implants? Quick click here, pen. Yes. Okay. Is that tooth locked? Yes, or no and no. Is the curve be leveled? You click on the lower arch. You click to the side view. You make sure it's nice and flat on tray 40. You click back to number one, you see a ski jump. You click back to 40, it's nice and flat. You're like, sweet, great, that's good. Next would be arch forms. So click on your upper arch. Now look at your upper initial staging and look and click to your final staging. Again, we're not in the in-between part. We're not in the staging section. We're just looking at the final and the initial. And you look and you're like, did I want to develop my arch form? So did I have someone who had a really constricted arch and they needed to have proper expansion and arch development? Kelly, can you move molars with Invisalign? Yes, Common sir. Question. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, what would I be doing for half of my day? A hundred percent. Yeah, um, you can absolutely move molars with Invisalign because Invisalign mm -hmm. is just a force put on the teeth. Do teeth know if yeah. it's from a finger, your tongue, braces, Invisalign? You just need to know the right way of moving them. But I will say we, we, we do have to be careful whether it's a, I mean, I see all ages. So uh, like from an eight year old to an 80 year old or whatever, um, I think I've seen a lot of crazy arch forms um, in the la this month, I would say. Um, you need to look at the beginning arch form and the person's face. That has a factor. If they're a cute little bird like creature, you can't create this huge square like 
arch inside their mouth. It's just that like it has to fit. Um, but if you start at stage one and you're going to stage 40, let's say, and the shape, first of all, you don't, I, you didn't even need to show me stage one for stage 40 to look crazy. I've seen the craziest arch forms this, even my home family, cause they're like, I'm very energetic and I'm like, good God, what is going on? And like my husband, I mean, he's a creative director, so he has, he has a visual eye, but also my like 13 year old, she's, she's not dental. They come over and they're like, what's happening there? Is that how they were born? And I'm like, no. <laughs> This is how they're coming back. Do not press approve. It, it, but it's crazy. They're, you know, sometimes when we when we stay, we want nice, um, you know, wide or you know, widen out the anterior arch form. The technicians are taking it literally. I mean, they're giving you what you kind of asked for or more or too much. And I mean, if you look at the tooth movement table, it's going five or six millimeters buckle, and it's like huge square arches or just bizarre shapes just it, it you have to look at it and think does this make sense is this possible is this biologically possible and do I actually want this even myself I love nice wide ovoid arches I love saying that I love typing that in all the time but sometimes you get a plan back and you're like no not for this person this person can't have a nice wide ovoid arch we can improve it but they're not not everyone is going to get that muppet giant mouth smile where all their buckle corridors are filled with white chiclets not possible. Well, yeah. What, what Kelly, what you're really getting to is you need to understand the biological limitations and constraints. So you need to take a CBCT on every single clenchet or every single person in order to see how much buckle bone is present. No. But do you need, like, this is, again, the value of, like, taking good records is that if you take an occlusal photo and you see that their teeth are all lingually inclined, and they've got lots of bone on the outside, then absolutely you can go ahead and create a lot of arch development and, and, and true expansion of moving roots through bone to develop arches. However, if this patient is kind of pushing the biological limitations, let's say you took a CBCT and there's no more bone on the buckle and you look at the biotype of the gingiva and you feel it, you palpate it, and you're like, there's no bone there. Well, you, you don't have anywhere to move those teeth into. And so... You, you're in a very different situation because patient one and patient two could be very, very different, even though they start at the same spot. So so our recipes that are like, yes, you can translate, move things, buckle one to three millimeters, three to four millimeters, you know, different. Do You can't go by that. Look at your pictures because if you have an adult, even if it's like a well, 30, 40, 50 year old woman or whatever, and she already has recession, she's already sensitive, whatever. And you're like, oh, but it's good because it's only two, two to two millimeters buckle. Like, where where are you going she she has no bone today that's the starting point yeah, you have to be hitting, careful you're hitting the cortical plate and, yeah. and the reality is you guys have probably heard me say this before and in, in reality with aligners are you at a significant risk of ending up in the posterior uh upper of having a lot of recession or pushing the roots out of the bone in reality no i mean is it possible yes of course but but is it something that's a huge risk? Well, what's generally going to happen is that you're going to have the roots as you're trying to expand them. If there's no bone there, you're going to hit the cortical plate. And then those teeth, the, the crowns are going to keep moving buckly because the plastic is pushing them, but the roots won't be able to. And, and even just if you set up the plan in a way that doesn't allow the roots to move, what's going to happen then is all of a sudden their, their, their buckle cusps kind of relatively intrude and their palatal cusps relatively extrude because the roots aren't translating. And then they end up hitting heavy on their palatal cusps. And so that's a problem because they're they're ending up hitting heavy on those palatal cusps. They're, so it's they're, nature they're, protecting you a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So like I don't want to be super Don't rely upon those bumpers, right but. 
But in, in a lot of cases, like we're talking about some of those cases that can't happen, but in the majority of cases, you can have proper arch development and proper arch form. So that's where you want to be looking on this plan at the occlusal surface to see, okay, is this arch developing properly? And then uh, cross-referencing your photos as well as when you do your clinical evaluation to kind of palpate that bone and see like, yeah, is this a constructed arch with bone available? Or if you had a CBCT, can we expand that or not? So that would be our, 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 our arch form considerations. Most of the time, the smile arc is built into your preferences. Like, do you like a half a millimeter step? Do you like, I don't, I don't really like that curved smile, the joker smile, but <laughs> that's just my preference. <laughs> that's why there's preferences. <laughs> I'm always bringing the canines down and people are pushing them. <laughs> but gingival margins for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that's the, the next section here. The next section is smile arc. So are you happy with the smile arc? Do you, again, this is why you set this up before you plan your attachments and movement because if you want to have your smile arc following your lower lip, you want to make sure that you're extruding the canines to follow the smile arc. And so that's going to change your attachment decision because you might need to make changes for the patient's face. So are you, do you have cants or midline shifts? Um, is your, is your ClinCheck respecting the midline, right? Is it, is it moving in the direction you want? So that kind of rounds out section two, which was the bite position. Section three, right? We talked about Bolton, restorative, IPR. Now, I'm not going to get into this in, in detail, um, just because else we'll have you guys here for a four-hour podcast. But there's so many considerations with the Bolton, with the IPR, with restorative. How do you make sure your arches fit together? And so there's a, a significant section that I'd go through. Um, you guys are probably listening to this after the fact. So Stephen's about to head with Kelly to the warm, sunny California to go present on the Beyond the Borders course with Dr. Terry Coddington. And we'll be talking different aspects of restorative versus IPR. How do you set things up properly? But that's kind of the third section to evaluate would be how do you make sure the arches fit together? I think um, without restorative and all that kind of, I think Bolton is one of the first things I, um, I look at just what is possible here? And also because I'm, I am typing things to the technician, I love to do 3D con controls, but it's limited right now. They're only giving us like, you know, six tools to use. So it's limited. I have to still talk to technicians. So when I'm asking technicians to do things in my head by checking the Bolton um, discrepancy, I'm checking with myself, is this possible? And what do I anticipate getting back? Because if I'm asking for all of these magical things and expecting a great setup back and it comes back edge to edge or class three because I didn't anticipate that I needed a whole bunch of lower IPR. And in fact, maybe I even said no IPR in the first round. I've just messed myself up. So the Bolton is important. And again, that's a whole nother topic, but um, you do want to respect it. And it helps you make um, very important judgments of baking your cake. This isn't just like a finishing detail or that we can address it later. Um, in growing smiles, sometimes we can delay it and address it later. And that's smart. That's wise to do. But in adults, you kind of at least want to have an idea of I might need to do lateral buildups or I might or I will need to do IPR. Um, and also you, you probably are having those conversations or want to have those conversations with your patients, um, maybe at the new patient exam or at least at the first visit um, to let them know this is a good likelihood and we'll maybe discuss that, how we want to address it later. So Exactly. This is the direction. And, and, and just like Kelly said, this is this is really where you start with. The, these different sections we've gone through, these are kind of like the foundation of the house. They're the foundation of the clincheck. If one of these changes, it changes everything else. It changes the attachment decisions. 
changes the staging, changes everything. And so you want to make sure that these are all in the right spot and decided on before you move to those next sections. Okay, because that's the next section then would be staging. So the staging aspect now, we're, we're looking at the actual movement. So is there round tripping occurring? Round tripping is just the concept that our teeth move in one direction and then moving back the exact opposite direction. So did you like rotate a tooth to make it crooked and then it rotated back to end up straight? And on the ClinCheck, you click on one and you click on 40 and you're like, oh, look, it went from being crooked to being straight. Perfect. But then you actually look at the movement. You click play now and you, or you drag your slider and you're like, wait a minute. We rotated that tooth to be the wrong direction first for thir three aligners, four aligners, and now we moved it back. Like it makes no sense. So you want to make sure that the teeth are ideally moving as efficiently as possible from the beginning to the end. So that's kind of the staging component, as well as just making sure, were there any movements that are happening here that are really hard, like not consistent, that we need to make sure that we maybe adjust the staging, like extrusion can be a hard movement. So we might need to adjust the, the staging a bit. And with the staging, again, we, we love staging and sequencing because that is that makes things predictable. So there's a reason we do that. So we uh, don't get us wrong. We love simultaneous. If we could do everything simultaneous and there was no round tripping, but it actually expressed, fantastic. We're all about that. But when when you're you know doing a really efficient set and it's 20 and there's no round tripping and it's all simultaneous and it doesn't express. And so you have to order another 20 and you're doing the same thing and it doesn't express. And like, what's that's just, that's being an idiot. So you need to, you need to <laughs> work smarter. And so <laughs> sometimes you need to slow down to speed up. And so letting teeth take turns and, you know, um, you know, uh, it, 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 again, it's like a chess. It's like things moving yeah. like an orchestra, you like need an to orchestra. You move your pawns forward sometimes before you move your back pieces. Here's a great example. This is what Kelly is, is saying as well. Here's a great example, right? You have a canine. It's higher up and it's blocked out by two teeth. There's not enough space. You can't just start this clencheck by being like, hey, canine, extrude down through those lateral incisor and first premolars down into the proper spot. Just do it. Well, no, like what you should do is you should actually tell the technician, please make space first. So move the lateral mesially, move the first premolar distally. Create space around that canine tooth so when it extrudes, there's room. You do this with brackets and wires in orthodontics. You would go ahead and you'd put an, an open spring or open coil, and it would push the two teeth apart before you try to bring a tooth into place in the arch if a tooth was blocked out. And so it's the same thing. Teeth need space in order to move, and, and you don't want that friction of teeth hanging against each other, else the clincheck will show perfection. But in reality, what you're going to get is a nightmare. So you, you and yes, you are going to get sometimes. fifteen or twenty more aligners. Um, and so it's a lot. So many doctors are so used to just like, oh my god, it's more than fifteen aligners. Like, what should I do? There's thirty. They're horrified by thirty. Um, I get a little bit like, what's going on here? Over sixty. <laughs> but anything, anything other than that, I'm kind of like forty to sixty. Like, oh, complex plan. Like, what are we doing here? But if if it's, I would say, if it's under twenty four and they're not a mixed dentition case. Then I'm like, what's going on here? Someone screwed up. Like something's going on here because it's not, it's probably not going to express very, very well unless we're talking super simple cases. But yeah, take your time, but within reason. Make sure that there's not like three quarters of the mouth isn't moving because one tooth, the technician decided to just jiggle one complex tooth around and forgot about the whole team. We want everyone to be kind of moving and yeah, moving or, along. Exactly. I had one that I just saw on Friday 
where the plan shows like we're trying to extrude a lower first premolar. It's blocked out but between two neighboring teeth. And so what the plan actually shows is it's like 40 aligners on a refinement, but it just shows like the lower second molar distalizing and the lower first molar and the, the whatever, the second premolar. And then the anterior teeth are slowly moving forward. And it does this for like, I don't know, like 15 aligners. And then even when there's space, now there's room for that tooth to come up. It's still weighted until like a liner 30. And then at a liner 30, it shows that lower tooth that was kind of blocked out going doo, 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 like pure extrusion. And you're looking at this being like, this is ridiculous because first of all, it should only take, like it's only going to take to create space around that tooth, have all the back teeth kind of segmentally like together as a unit back up a little bit. The anterior teeth move forward a little bit. Like you don't need to. Yeah. It's like a plastic open coil spring. Just exactly. give it a push. Yeah. Just give it a push. All those teeth move back. The other ones move forward, like three liners, four liners. Yeah. That's all I need. And then that tooth can start extruding. And then at the very end, you could close that space back up again. And that might take an extra two or three aligners. So we added in like six aligners here to make things way more consistent. That's an extra six weeks of treatment. Yes, for sure. But instead of not tracking at train number 20, and now you've made zero progress, instead you've actually, like Kelly said, you slowed down to speed up. Because in the end, that plan is going to be more efficient than if you accepted kind of the teeth extruding with pure extrusion. And if you don't know, it's, it's, it is a really hard concept of like how many aligners is enough or too much or too little. That's very difficult. I know even when I worked at ULAB orthodontists were, you kind of had a lot of control over that and they didn't know how many aligners should I have. You just have to think common sense in months even. I, I, I told the patient this would take 12 months and I'm doing all the a cake baking right now, arch development, the big movements. How much of that year should do I think this should take up? And if you don't really know, just do a, a nice set of 30 or 40. You can just type to the technicians. I'd like this set to be a decent 30 to 40 aligners or whatever, plus my four passives. And now you have a nice velocity. It's predictable. It's efficient. And, you know, it's also psychologically acceptable to have deliver a nice, decent set to the patient and you have time for everything to, to bake well. Yeah, I would say 100%. One of the things we should be doing is giving more time over uh, under promise over deliver, right? It's it's these clinchecks that you go to the patient. And you say, like, we'll be done in, in four months, four to six months. And then when it comes down to it, first of all, it was almost a biological impossibility. Like, how do we as general dentists expect that we can treat something with aligners that would take an orthodontist, let's call it 12 to 18 months. We expect that we can treat them in six months with aligners. Like, do we think that we are that good with our tools that we can change biology to do things more efficiently than someone who's been to two to three year residency with their with a different tool and technique? Like it just doesn't make sense. And what patients patients don't want fast, patients want efficient. I don't want somebody just to do things like sloppily and fast. Like right now we're building a house. I don't want them just to do it fast, but I do want them to be efficient. And so explain that to a patient. Even you steal that word, steal that phrase. You know, quote like Schalk 2014, 24. Patients don't want fast, patients want efficient, right? So you say to them, look, I don't want to just treat you fast. I want to treat you efficiently. And I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. In reality, this is going to take, it could take 12 months. It could take even longer but I don't want to cut corners and then have it not work. And it also is, you're not going to be happy with the results and it's still going to take a long time. So in reality, this is what we're looking at for time frame. And you know what? Patients will appreciate that and they'll respect it because they'll have been told by someone down the street, like get guaranteed four to six months. And then when you tell them, look, 
In reality, everybody's biology is different. I can't give you an exact time frame, but I'd rather go ahead and, and plan to make sure we have enough time to do it right. And that's what we're in this for. Yeah. If it seems too good to be true, it, it is. Like on the digital movie, if you think, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, I can do that in 15 aligners. Uh, yeah, there's not much we can do in 15 aligners. So yeah, just 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 give yourself a little reality give, check give there. Yourself, give yourself extra space. And, there, and if you're early, patients will love you for it. They're going to be so yes, happy. Yes, so, yes, yeah. yeah. And you can just you reward, yeah. My okay. friend Jeff Skinner said he does something like surgically facilitated orthodontic treatment to speed up treatment. And he said, Stephen, if I quote a patient that it's going to take me four to six months and it takes me eight months, I'm a villain. But if I quote them 10 to 12 months and I finish at eight months, I'm a hero. And that was like, what a, what a light bulb moment, right? You're setting yourself up. And, and sure, you're saying as a dentist right now, you might be sitting here being like, yeah, but Stephen and Kelly, you don't understand. The guy down the street, he's quoting six months. I, I have to quote six months to match him. And it's like, well, well, no, you're looking at that from the short term, right? The reality is, is that most patients, if you explain it well, right? I'm not trying to do things fast, but I'm trying to be efficient. I very, very rarely have had patients who said, well, you know what? Based off of that, I'm going across the street. But the other thing is when you look at the guy across the street and they fail to accomplish their goals, all of the family members and friends of that patient aren't going back to that guy again when they said, well, the treatment took me two years instead of six months. Whereas when you do finish the case in eight months and you quoted them 12 months, they are now telling their family and friends how good you were and how you finished early. So, and it's, yeah. And be careful because I mean, you can, it's very easy to educate your patient. Like it's not apples to apples. Like what, what the quality that they're delivering, not that you're ever going to say that they're not delivering quality. You just kind of phrase it in a way of, you know, you have to be careful what you're asking for. What's a, what we can deliver in six months and what we can deliver in 12 to 18 months is like a Ponderosa steak versus a keg steak. So what kind of steak do you want? Cause sure. I can give you a Ponderosa. I can do it in three months. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you just have to be careful because everyone could line up the front teeth. I mean, my daughter could probably line up the teeth if I gave her the tools. I mean, anyone can do that, right? That's 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 easy stuff. It's the function and it's the finishing details. So don't get yourself into that competing with the guy down the street for, for cheaper and faster. And that's just not who we are. We're better. Yeah. Rise above. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not to say there isn't a time and a place also to make those decisions. Like, I don't want anybody who's listening right now to be like, well, ooh, I also treat like I tell them six months and I try to just fix the front six teeth. And like there, there's a time and place for everything, right? And there's there's the ability to go ahead and make that decision and say, okay, this is what the patient wants. This is what we're working on. The yeah, thing if it's is their just, wedding and yeah, that's it, all they is want. To, is to give yourself the out, the understanding that you don't, don't plan this trip and say, hey, you know what? Like you're traveling from, which analogy, which city do we want to use here? I mean, we're talking Canadian here. I'm traveling from Vancouver to Calgary, right? It's a thousand kilometers and you drive a hundred kilometers an hour. Nice, easy math for all the Americans. Um, so that means essentially normally it'd take 10 hours. You're driving a hundred kilometers an hour, a thousand kilometers away. Don't tell, don't leave exactly 10 hours before the biggest business meeting of your life and be like, well, I, you have no room for error. Give yourself room for error and then you, you won't regret it. You're going to be in good shape. You And you can make promises like 
I mean, if people want to straighten their crowded teeth or close their diastema or whatever, there are things that are doable in that short amount of time and just say, but I will probably take some extra time for finishing details and function. And you can go off into hold like a DSD chatterbox, chatterbox, all my GPs. There's a lot you can say that in ortho. We're just like, <laughs> we don't do that. We don't need to do that. But anyways, yeah, just there's, there's lots of yeah, conversations yeah. there. Good conversations. Good conversations. So, okay. So Moving on, we we're talking about staging. Next, we're on to Pontex. Okay, so Pontex, um, don't want to get into it too extensively. We kind of already said it in the intro there, but just that you control the size and shape. The anterior Pontex, you can make them shorter in height just by tell the technician, this Pontex is too long. Or please line up the Pontex with the incisal edge of whatever, the, the central incisor. Or please mirror image the lateral incisor in the opposite quadrant. So so like how many times do you get a, a clincheck back, you're missing a lateral incisor, you're gonna do an implant later, and then you realize that, okay, you that lateral incisor that they gave you looks terrible. It's not a mirror image at all. Just tell them mirror image the tooth on the other side. Something like that, they can change it and control it and make it look beautiful. So don't accept terrible looking Pontex. Right. So is there a Pontic there if you need it? Number one, like, do you actually have a Pontic if you want it? Sometimes you want that bridge of plastic for X, Y, Z reasons. Just there's no Pontic. It's just a stretch of plastic in the premolar posterior. Um, or do you want a Pontic and it's not there? And be careful with your 3D tools if you do use the 3D tools, because when you live update, your Pontic's erase. And so it was there and oh, you check that list off the box. And then all of a sudden you are like, okay, yeah, but I just think I'll change that rectangle for a better rectangle because I saw Dr. Stevens attachments and biomechanics <laughs> thing and I'm super hyped up and I have control and I'm going to switch it out. And then you live update and your Pontic that you just chatted to the technician about last round is now disappeared. So just watch, is it there? Is it not there? And height and width of it. Is it like Sometimes, I mean, we like we like big Pontex for lots of different reasons to catch erupting teeth if you're mixed or mixed dentition or whatnot. But sometimes it's just crazy. You're just like, this could fit in a horse's mouth. Like, calm down. Like, <laughs> just a little bit less. Like little I've had to smaller. say that last week, I was like 50% less. C can you imagine how big that Pontex was in, right. in, in right. a mixed dentition case? But anyway, so yeah, is it there? Is it not? Does it look aesthetic? Yeah, totally, mm -hmm. totally. Cool. And so, then yeah, we're icing the, the cake with yeah. attachments. Sorry, exactly. were you going to say so that? Then, attachments, yeah. So now we're getting into the uh, to that section. I mean, this is such a huge section. So yeah, we're we're not going to go through this in no. in, in extensive detail. Um, we're keeping the surface level. I mean, there's an entire three day course on this topic alone. Yeah, I think the main things are: Do I have the attachments for movements that are important? So big movements, root tip. Yeah. Big rotations, extrusion, things that will not happen without an attachment. And then do they have a best supporting actor? Do we have anchorage for that to express? Even if you get those two things done, I think you're pretty good. <laughs> you just took the words out of my mouth, Kelly. I yeah. have it written down in my notes here. Retention. Okay. So do you have attachments for retentive purposes? So that would yes. be deep bite correction. Expansion. Yeah. You need to have attachments yeah. if you're expanding teeth and lateral incisors. Those, you just yeah. need something on the trays to make sure that they lock in place. Then the second section would be root rotations and difficult movements. Oh, good. Okay. And then the third thing that I would look at, so those would be yeah, root, root, root movements. Sorry, I shouldn't say root rotations, but just root movements and difficult movements. And then the third one, did they put attachments on crowns? Check that over. Make yeah. sure if they put attachments on crowns that you're prepared to bond to a crown or if yeah. not, take them off. That's it. 
some yeah sometimes we need them and but if you can get away without it why are you why are you hassling yourself that's like an extra eight minutes of chair time if it, if it fails that's darn why is that porcelain so damn slow <laughs> um and then also i'll add um mixed incision because we do have a lot of um our providers um who are doing a lot more um mixed in early treatment um Add extra retentive attachments um, because a lot of those teeth will be um, exfoliating like popcorn. And so you think you have, well, I have one in the front, one in the back. So the tray is well anchored, but some of those teeth in the middle are going to be going. And so you always want to think, well, this is the next tooth to move. Do I have a backup, atta a backup retentive attachment? So I always add a little bit extra onto the mixed dentition, yeah, anticipating a great, a great point. future. Totally. Okay. And then the final, like the sprinkles on the cake, not really though, because they're so important and not nothing to be afraid of is the elastics. <laughs> the elastics, I think, are yeah. the final. Uh, so going through and determining, are you wanting to use a button cutout versus are you using slits? Yes. Right? Are you using um, what size elastics? Where are they going to be positioned? Are you trying to help extrude a tooth down while you're using the elastics? Or are you are all the teeth down? Like if you have a canine that's really high, it makes sense to use a button cutout because then you're pulling <laughs> directly on the tooth. Whereas if you've got all the teeth down, then maybe this patient struggles with dexterity. It's a lot easier for <laughs> them to go ahead and hook, or they keep breaking things off. So it's easier to use a slit to the tray. So just evaluating and making sure that those are designed the way you want them to be and that you've, you've, you've verified them essentially or made those changes. And I think too, I mean, well, we, obviously we have courses that support all of this, but I think sometimes um, it, it's easy. I can, I can see how it happens where you're like, oh, it's a class two patient. So I'm going to just put on the class two elastics and you, maybe you haven't taken any courses yet, but like just that's common sense. But then you've also, you're also, whether it's closing a space because of a missing tooth. So you're actually pulling teeth the opposite direction. So sometimes you need a different elastic. You might need a class three elastic, even though they are class two, but what are we doing in this first initial set? And so like, think about it. You're pulling that tooth with a rope with the elastic or that part of the arch with the elastic. Does that make sense right now for what we're trying to accomplish in the first round? So just it's kind of common sense. Like where's the force coming from? What will be um, the, the response of the teeth or the arch or the midline, all these types of things. So nothing to be afraid of, but you know, we're, there's so many people to ask. I mean, Facebook, clearly aligned Facebook. We have WhatsApp groups. Um, there's lots, there's lots of different, we, I mean, we have study clubs that we're part of orthodontic and GP and mixture, mixture groups all out there. And so ask, ask a friend, don't be afraid to ask a friend. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the goal of these podcasts is to inspire you. We, we can't teach you in a one and a half hour podcast, how to do absolutely everything. The goal is that we want you to be inspired to, to learn more because yes, in reality, orthodontists, they're taking two to three years of training and learning awesome things in the process. But we feel that a lot of that, the information can be presented more efficiently, but it's also not going to be in a one day seminar. It's not going to be in a one hour podcast. Like you have to be hungry for this information to go out and, and, and sit down and learn. And we've tried to provide all of that for you through different courses, whether they're live or whether it's the online content at Clearly Aligned that will allow you to sit down and be like, okay, now I understand this. It makes sense. And you build on that. You build on that journey. So um, don't be afraid of this stuff because orthodontics, I mean, we're moving teeth with plastic. It's pretty much always reversible unless you have something significant where you're treating perio patients and causing recession or moving roots out of bone in the lower anterior. But in, in almost all other circumstances, you can undo what was done. And if you have a good 
team in place and you have a good coach in place to help set these things up for you properly if you're unsure, that's that's what we're here for. So, all right. So I want to talk about, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I want to go ahead and talk about, I know we're running tighter on time now. So I want to talk about the kind of the, the third component. We talked about why do all of this? Why does it matter to have a plan? The whole airplane walkthrough, make sure you don't crash that plane. I've gone through a cursory glance at all the decisions of what we would change in our plans. I want to talk a little bit about the future because what's coming now in the future is pretty exciting. So what what's available to us now is this is, I think, hitting live in coming up in February here. I don't know when in February, but we've been told it's coming in February. So um, is something called Plan Editor. And what Plan Editor for Invisalign is, is it's now the ability to take even more control with your plan and make changes without needing the technician. So for example, using Plan Editor, you can actually go in and you could change the IPR staging. So you could tell them, I want all the IPR to happen at aligner number 7, 12, 15, 30. If you're setting up the anterior posterior correction and it's not done well, and, and before you'd have to write your technician and say, hey, text, I want to finish class one occlusion on my right side, and you didn't do it. We're still class two on my molars and my canines. Now you can go ahead into plan editor, a live update option, and change out the anterior posterior positioning of those teeth by clicking into the anterior posterior correction and, and making that live change. And then 60 seconds later, you've got a new ClinCheck that comes back with an improper class one occlusion molar canine. Deep bite correction. Um, same thing. If you if you looked at it and you're like, there's big problems here with this ClinCheck, we know that we can use the 3D controls to click in and make those changes. But now you don't need to go ahead and either use 3D controls to make a tremendous number of changes. You just go into plan editor and you can tell it to set the bite up to be finishing at edge to edge or overcorrect it to be actually even a bit of an open bite at the end. So this new plan editor in Invisalign software is going to be something really significant if you know and recognize how to take control of your own plans. If your doctor right now is like, I don't even know what you're talking about with 3D controls. I never change anything. Then it's just going to be another tool that's not used. But right now, if you're a doctor who's taking control of your plans and setting them up, this is going to make your life so much easier because you can do way more without needing the technician. Absolutely. Yeah, I I will say um, be, because I worked with like the ortho specialty with ULAB and we had full control of all of our controls. Once you have the ability to change things yourself, it, it's really hard to go back to being handcuffed. And the 3D controls are, are great. It's nice to be able to do some of those things. But as soon as I need to ask the technician for something staging or sequencing or my number of aligners or I didn't get my passives or something that I want, even if it's a double attachment on front teeth, because I could put a rectangle for root tip, but she's a female and I already, I feel like aesthetically I, I, she would like that better. I have to ask. And as soon as I have to ask the technician for one thing in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm losing a day. And now I have to check the plan again. I really want to do it myself. Um, so that, it is super exciting. Um, and I will say, I mean, if it was me, even if I was just even if I had never used the 3D controls myself, I think that would be um, a course, whether it's in person or on demand, that I would sign up for ASAP because you're going to be saving a ton of time. And I think you'll also naturally understand the consequences of different movements because 
if you can see yourself intruding teeth and the friction that happens and the changes that it makes to IPR, it's like a snowball effect. You learn so much by taking the the, the reins of these cases. Um, you have to be careful. So I will say, be cautious, be careful, like, you, you know, know what you're doing. Don't just create crazy things because you have the tools to do so. Um, but I, I think it's it's going to be very freeing. I think it's going to open the doors to a lot more efficiency and a lot more delegation. Like, I think, I think you'll just, even like plans I set up for doctors where I give it back to them and I'm like, okay, I, I would approve this, but go ahead. And if you want to change the IPR or you want to leave more space for different buildups or restorative, now you can go in there, ice the cake a little differently and press approve without having to do the dance back and forth with technicians or not knowing what to say to technicians because you're not used to that. So I, I love, I love that kind of team effort approach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing as a bonus for all of you listeners who've made it to this point, kind of the thing we'll wrap up with that is really exciting is Dr. Terry Coddington and myself, as well as with Kelly, we just spent a, a good two hour session going through minor adjustments and tweaks, but we've been working on our individualized personal plan, is what it's called. In our case, it's not so much individualized because it's actually a protocol designed for doctors that we work with. And so this IPP plan right now is available to doctors who are in our Clearly Next Level growth group. So if you're in our Clearly Next Level group, um, they already know what we're talking about. We're providing more and more info on this. At some point here, it's going to be released to the masses as well. But if you want access to this sooner, then go ahead and reach out to us through our website at clearlyline.ca, just info at clearlyline.ca about joining our Clearly Next Level group. But this plan allows us to set up certain parameters that come back in specific ways that we've changed from the traditional Invisalign ClinCheck setup. This is a customized algorithm and plan that not only immediately gives it back to you that same day, so as soon as you fill out your prescription form, you get that ClinCheck back sooner, but it has all of the different considerations and adjustments that we've been talking about in this last session here. It will go ahead and actually put most of those in place from the very beginning so that you don't necessarily have to jump in and make many of those mod modifications. And so this is something that's big. I've been working on this individualized personal plan um, since, uh, ooh, I think I'm going back over three years that I originally coded it with the line. And I just never was really satisfied to the point that I thought it was, was kind of where it needed to be. And so just in the last maybe two months, it was kind of to the point that we're kind of moving into beta testing. And now it's ready along with Dr. Terry Coddington's protocols that we've kind of combined together. We're, we're ready for that to be released to the, the, the public here to, well, not the public, I should say yet, but to our, our, Mem our members, members like first. Next yeah. Level. yeah, exactly. So super excited yeah, so that's about exciting. the developments there. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that also makes like this checklist that we've gone to reviewing your digital plans. Um, we've, it's like, we've given you a head start. We've kind of digitally uh, behind the scenes kind of giving you a head start. It's still not because people are custom. It's all customized plans to customize to each patient. So everything's individualized, but it really gives you a, a good a good push push start, which is exciting. So it's kind of like paint by numbers by Van Gogh. You're being, you you are the Van Gogh. <laughs> Dr. Schalk. <laughs> exactly. So it's never not just forget like. That. There's, <laughs> there will never be a protocol that replaces you as the doctor because there's always decision-making involved because everybody's unique. 
and individualized and different. And so set up protocols for how you look at the world. Don't set up protocols that treat everybody the same in the world is how I would describe it. So really, really excited about that. It's been a long time in the making. Um, and yeah, if you want more information, reach out to us and uh, we can we can fill you in on on, on, the, on details about uh, essentially what uh, what's involved with uh, being a, a member of Clearly the Next Level. So yeah, yeah. Keep an eye on our website. There's always like you know great study clubs or ClinCheck setups or support. Um, we have great live courses and webinars yeah, and join, things happening all the time. Join yeah. the mailing list. You'll get access. We just had our webinar last week, two weeks ago. Had over one thousand doctors sign up to attend this webinar. Um, about 600, 500, 600 actually showed up live. And then with people watching it afterwards, I think we had about 800 to 900 doctors who, who watched that webinar completely free, three hours of CE. So our goal has always been is that we don't want to put everything behind a paywall. That's why we take the time to do this stuff for you guys. We're, we're really here for you to uh, learn and grow. Uh, a lot more content coming to our YouTube channel. So you can check us out through the different free opportunities. You can also come and check us out live and in person at our different courses. Um, we'll have those all, all the details of those will be getting released shortly for our most of the year. And uh, yeah, we always look forward to bringing you guys more info because this is our passion, <laughs> what we love doing. Awesome. Well, it was great to see you again, Stephen. And now I think it's funny, every time we do a podcast, it's like five extra topics come into our heads oh, while yeah. we're doing it. We're like, oh, we need to do that more. We need oh, to talk about 100%. that more. And, and Kelly and I, like, we've been working more at Clearly Aligned with increasing our production quality. Hopefully you guys are noticing that. We're working with different editors and different scripters. So You don't have it to turn it down as much when I squeal into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're super pumped. It's going to be an amazing 2024, and we're, we're excited that you guys choose to take this journey with us. Awesome. Well, have a great cool. day. All right. This is to Claire Kelly. and Amy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye.